0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bill Connolly. We are very, very excited to have Bill Connolly from ESPN here. Uh, It is, first of all, a return visit for you, Bill. So welcome back uh, here on the Cover 3 Podcast. You joined Barton and I. It is a reunion for PAPN, Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. And I believe, and I could be wrong, I apologize if so, I believe that this is a meeting of the only two national outlet writers who cover at a high level, both college football, football and football with Tom Fernelli and Bill Connolly together. And as you mentioned before the show, who knows what might happen? We could end up uh, trying to figure out that when Koulibaly's coming back and what's wrong with Napoli as we start to get into the back
2: half of the Serie A season. I'm going to be really disappointed if we don't. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been doing? I'm not too bad. How are you? We're good. We're good. Now, the uh, your returning
0: production uh, post, it's something that uh, the listeners here on the Cover 3 podcast, especially during the hurry-up hot seat, uh, heard a lot of because we didn't have spring practice to be able to give us new <laughs> notes and information, which meant we had to rely on a lot of hard data. Um, and so, you know, we've talked about your returning production per- percentages, and it's good to have you on here to describe them you've just crunched the numbers for the upcoming season. Was it one of the biggest headaches that you've ever had trying to obtain? Cause a lot of it is information gathering and information gathering with, um, you know, the fluidity of the transfer portal, the super seniors. There's a lot of different things that have to be taken into consideration for this.
2: Yeah, and to be honest, I punted on one of the biggest headaches, which is what the hell do you do with Yukon, New Mexico State and Old Dominion? No who football. Technically, you know what they return Infinity production uh mm-hmm. from their from 2020, so that was a big uh, I got some ideas for that. And obviously, that's probably not the most high stakes part, you know, getting Old Dominion right probably isn't as important as getting other teams right. But I mean, in the end I just kind of went with what I typically do, I did have to kind of scale things to to basically convince my spreadsheets that everybody played twelve games. Just kind of scale it all to twelve games. So you know, Washington State had to be tripled uh, and and whatnot. But I mean, the the process otherwise was approximately the same. It was just it was just more, you know, more of uh, more of a lot of stuff, more transfer portal stuff. Um, I tried to get as many of the you know, the schools list, the, uh, the lists of, of who's returning, which super seniors are returning from each team and all that. Um, and then we'll see what happens when the actual rosters come out here in a little bit, but I mean, yeah, it wasn't that much different since I punted on the three big headaches.
1: Is, is there any part of you that's worried about the validity of your rankings considering you're leaving out the defending New York time champion UConn Huskies? <laughs>
2: Well, I, all I want out of this, by the way, um, this this isn't exactly an answer to the question, but all I want is New Mexico State to go 3-0 and against D2 teams and claim a national title. That's really... <laughs> that, that's re- the, the only thing I hope to get out of this spring experiment is unbeaten New Mexico State saying we want Bama because guess who they get in the fall? Bama? Bama. Bama. It'd be a, a, a long-awaited matchup of national champions.
3: So, Bill, I know the answer to this, but for our audience at home why returning production as opposed to just returning starters, right? Like I I'm 35 for 20 years of my life. I would just take a look and and say, okay, how many starters they have come back? All right, cool. And it's still like an easy soundbite. What, why is, is returning production you know, percentage? What? Why is that a better metric?
2: Well, we know, we use returning starters or we have forever because it's the only thing we have. Right. I mean, we, we, we know it kind of stinks we, we know all the limitations from it, how, you know, number one quarterbacks are a little more important than other positions. And um, you know, that part of it. plus, you know, if you have a platoon, if you have two running backs, one of them leaves and it's not a returning starter the other one leaves and it is a returning starter, but they were the same. And so we kind of inherently knew that what we were getting at was some sort of returning production thing. Um, but that wasn't, we didn't have the access for it. So uh, once I've been, uh, you know, collecting data for a while and running all my, you know, preview spreadsheets and all that stuff, I kind of realized, like I could technically dump this all together and start, you know, playing with, trying to figure out what actually matters. Um, you know, if you return X percent of your passing yardage, how much of an impact does that have on next season and versus percentage of your rushing yards versus percentage of defensive back tackles versus all these other things. I just started tinkering. And so every year at the end of the year with another year of data, I tinker some more. And, and um, I think it basically just, it gets at what we thought we were getting from returning uh, from returning starters. Anyway, it just does hopefully a better job of it. So what matters like
0: what are the, I mean, I know you've got the percentages in your post, but like, mm-hmm. as you've tried to figure out what matters, I mean, that sounds like it could be a very revealing thing about football and the way that it's yeah. played at, at right now in college football.
2: Yeah. I mean, from, from the start, like every year, the percentages change a little bit now that I have good offensive line data or better offensive line data than just like how many starts of, from last year or how many career starts return and lost uh, now that I have like snap count data, Uh, It turns out that matters a lot more than I was able to make it matter in previous years. But uh, generally, I mean, obviously passing yardage, Matters a lot. Returning production at the quarterback position um, is, is still end all be all compared to everything else. But it appears that, you know, your overall percentage of returning production in the in the receiving core matters more than running backs, for instance. Um, you know, the it, on the defensive side of the ball, what you return uh, at defensive back tends to matter more than linebacker or defensive line. Um, so that kind of tells us some general picture of, you know, continuity in the passing game seems to matter quite a bit. Um, like I said, now that I have good offensive line data, it turns out that does matter a decent amount and you can kind of divide out, you know, if we look at the percentages by it's like 29% passing yards, 5% rushing yards, 34% receiving yards, 33% line snaps on offense. You divide that out, like, per player. And it's like five to 7% for everybody that isn't a quarterback and then 29% for quarterbacks. And I think that kind of, that, I think that's intuitive. I think that kind of would be sort of what we would guess at the end of the day.
1: Uh, you mentioned how you tinker with it every year a little bit when you mentioned just now, like what's more important, but how has that changed in recent years? Cause I know when I would do my own kind of preparations for, you know, whatever rankings or just trying to figure out how good a team's going to be preseason wise, yeah. When it came down to returning starters on offense the only things i really cared about used to just be is the quarterback back and how much the offensive line is back when it came to like skill positions like running backs and receivers i was more interested in not how much experience you had as much as the talent level of you know your recruits and the guys you had and on the defensive side i cared more about like your front seven but in recent years like you kind of just mentioned I think it's becoming more and more important for on the defensive side, to secondary experience back there is key as we've seen, you know, the offensive explosion across the country. And you mentioned that, you know, wide receivers are more important than running backs these days when it comes to trying to figure out production. But how is that trend gone? Like, is it is is the receivers from what you've seen always been more important or is that gap widening? And the same thing with the secondary, is the gap widening between them and the front seven from just from what you're seeing.
2: Um, I, with the receiving, it's always been there. Um, you know, and I think with, um, on the, uh, on the defensive side, it's been, I think it's evened out a little bit. I think for, when I first started running pro- projections, especially when I didn't have good O line data. So they were only like 10% of the offensive equation. It was quarterback receiving core DBs way ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. O-line even that up on the offensive side of the ball. But I think just, um, in general, it kind of feels like, um, I don't, I'm trying to remember now. I think the linebackers, as I get more data, the linebackers tend to be – have become a little bit more uh, valuable, but not. it's but still the least valuable unit overall. And then defensive line, is it becomes a little bit less. But, no, it, it has been – the percentages have changed a little bit, but the overall concept is, has been passing game, passing game, passing game overall.
3: So, Bill, I'm, I'm scanning your article on ESPN – we have more than 25 teams yeah. that return 80% of their production. I, I've got to think that I, I don't have last year's in front of me, but A, that intuitively seems like a lot. And B, if it is a lot, how much of that is related to the fact that we get these kind of bonus year COVID super seniors? We don't have an official term for this, by the way. I had to write a piece on that today. And it was like, what, what do I call these guys? Like COVID bonus year seniors? What? But how Schools much- Schools seem
2: I, I, to be jumping on super seniors. Okay, uh, super seniors. Because it sounds good. It does. Yeah,
0: Super a COVID scary. senior, you don't want to be associated with right, the virus right. as yeah. like your whole presence. <laughs> is. That's the reason. I totally understand. Super seniors, I, I can rock with that.
1: Sounds yeah. like a Marvel character, so it works that's better. That's right.
2: Um, yeah, so, I mean, as far as I know, it's mostly because of the quote unquote super seniors, but basically, you know, looking at previous years of data, uh, it, it tended to be like 61 to 63% national average, 61 to 63%. Um, and then you'd have, you know, eight to 10 teams, six to 10 teams, I guess, 80% or a higher. Um, yeah, this year, the average is while acknowledging that I don't have all the G5 rosters. Figured out yet? Because that data or that information has been harder to come by. Um, it's at like sixty nine and a half percent. So it, we're at least at six seven percent higher than normal, uh, and and that's without complete data. So it might end up being seventy or seventy one percent, almost ten percentage points higher than normal. So, I mean there's been a lot of transfer movement. Maybe I'm doing a better job of accounting for some of that because I do kind of, when you get a transfer in, I just kind of mash your, your, his stats into your overall team stats. Uh, that's been the best approach I've found so far. So there might be a little of that, but I think it, it is that a lot of schools are bringing back a lot of seniors uh, more than I really anticipated, honestly. Um, I, cause I, I mean, nobody's returning everybody, but uh, they're finding space for these guys. And, um, and I, that, you know, that does, make a huge difference. You look at a team like um, Ole Miss is at 81% in their 22nd. They would have been top 10 any other year in this in this, uh, in this ranking, but they're barely top 25 because so many other teams. I got yelled at for some of the teams on the list. Like, I can't believe Wake Forest isn't higher. I can't believe, uh, you know, Indiana's not higher. It's like, well, they're high. <laughs> it's just everybody else is too. And uh, it makes – it makes it really interesting when you scroll down and you look at the teams that don't have a lot of return in production, and it's going to cost you figure it's going to cost them even more than normal. BYU at 31%. Um, that's kind of scary when, when they're playing a bunch of Pac 12 teams, especially, and the Pac 12 returns like freaking everybody this year, Uh, but Northwestern losing a ton is going to hurt maybe Notre Dame, South Carolina, Tennessee, some of those teams where they would be always be projected to regress because of that. Now they're really going to be projected to regress because so many other teams are going to have so much experience.
1: Yeah. Like I I made the comment, I think we talked about it on Twitter earlier, a couple of weeks ago too, but it's, if you go through like individual school message boards at 24, seven sports right now, there are a lot of fan bases who are telling themselves, Hey, Look at all these guys we got yeah. coming back next year. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make a run next year. It's gonna be an up season. And like just using my own personal like, I I reading the Illinois board with Bre- uh, Bert Bealum's first season. You know, at Illinois, they've got all these players coming back, and I'm reading it, and all the fans are sitting there like, oh man, we're gonna surprise people next year. Bealum's coming in. We got a new coaching staff. We got a veteran team, and they all think that they've got all this returning experience. Then I look at your rankings. Illinois is ranked 62nd. As far as returning production, and they're at seventy percent, which is well above the typical average that you would see like on a regular season. But again, with all the players across the country returning back because of the COVID and the waiver, you know, it's it's ridiculous how it's going to be next year. And it's like I, that's one of the things I've had like headaches trying to figure out going into next year when I'm trying to do all this stuff and rank teams and figure things out. It's like I don't know who's <laughs> a, it's it's so much more confusing because there are so many players coming back.
2: Yeah, Missouri's in the same boat. Um, yeah, you know, the the boards are very excited because they did get some of their seniors back and all that stuff. And, and they're 56th in returning production. So it's it, you're pretty much treading water if you only bring back a, a high amount of your production. So I mean that's it's good for college football, I guess. It means there's gonna be more quality, more experience and quality in, in the sport overall. And I haven't even fat, been able to factor in the the most of the the opt-outs from last year because since a lot of them have landed in the portal, I've been kind of waiting to see you know let's make sure they show up on spring rosters and then i'll add them then but um yeah it's it's gonna be great for college football but a lot of fan bases are going to be disappointed because only one team can win a given game and um and that's going to make things uh you know i i hope it's a good thing i hope it turns out to be just more competitive games more quality and all that but yeah, I mean, a lot of teams that think they're going to surprise
1: probably aren't going to. Going to be a lot of veteran players going out losing games. <laughs>
2: yes. Yeah, so having having that emotional senior night moment that did, where where you realize the season didn't really turn out like you wanted it to. Do you have
0: an idea this season at least where the? I guess uh, I hope I don't mess this up for all my stat heads out there, but like where the standard deviations are, or at least like where the tiers are. Like what? You, you mentioned that the, right now the average is a, a nice 69 and a half. And mm. you, you go and you look and you know, certainly that would be around like your Clemson at 65, Michigan State, right. you know, uh, Illinois at, at 70 at 62. But like where on either end of the spectrum, either the high ranking or the low ranking, do you start to draw the line and say that, that is, you know, more middle of the pack and that is definitive that's a lot of production coming back or a little amount of production coming back.
2: Yeah. There there will be a lot of middle of the pack. The middle of the pack is going to be really big, right. but um, without giving away, like I'm still watching the transfer portal right up until the moment we actually post the SP plus projections this week. Um, but I can say that, you know BYU was a legitimate top tw- uh, top ten team at SP Plus uh, this year. They're falling off the map uh, in the in the projections. And then on the other side, the teams that are like ninety percent. There are three teams over ninety percent. <laughs> usually, usually number ones at like 86, 88. But you've got Louisiana. Uh, I almost said Louisiana Lafayette. I'm trying to be better about that. Uh, but Louisiana. At 96 percent returning production, like almost literally everybody returns, and part of that is because I mean they lost two good running backs, but running backs don't matter as much in this formula. But they return almost everybody else besides that. Then you got 91 percent for UCLA, 91 percent for Miami. I'll just say that when you see the rankings, UCLA and Miami are going to be a lot higher than you expected, um, and it's just because like that is so extreme. It's so extreme a total, even though everybody you know there is a big middle of the pack there. Those teams on the extremes are really really up there
3: all right bill before we, we jump into you know the more specific teams here i how nervous are you that of the elements of your formula right you you have your you know production o- over a certain number of years right still five i, I assume the, the uh, five-year weighted well, average
2: yeah yeah i mean it's it's primarily last year with an adjustment for returning production but there's still a little bit of that year two
3: through five in there yeah and then you obviously have the recruiting element and the you know, returning production element. Yeah, last year was weird. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, you got some teams that just roster wise probably shouldn't have been the 50th best team in the country. And, and some of your performance was based on like how healthy were you? Did you? Yep. H- how often did you have to sit guys out for contact tracing? Did your team ever get to practice together at full strength during the season? If you're the Pac-12, did you play more than four games? Right. Right. Like, does it? Does it worry you at all for, from a projection standpoint? Not that you really have an alternative here, because right the season what is what it was. But I mean, this is going to weight UCLA fairly heavily, yeah. And they play the Pac-12 schedule, which is probably the wonkiest of all the P5 leagues.
2: Yeah, I mean, most of when I when when they're projected to improve this year, I mean, they were barely a top fifty team. So it's not like you know they overachieved. Done a tiny tiny sample, they improved. But I'm not necessarily. The sample is definitely going to make things weird. There's no question about that. Um, when I look at the rankings, that you know that will go up, I mean, most of it makes sense. You know, the top three, four teams are exactly who you think they're going to be, and and of course, Georgia's top ten. Of course, Ohio Iowa State's top ten with all they uh, returns. So there aren't that many surprises, and and that's what I was kind of watching for. Like when I when I knock all this out, is it going to be? I'm I going to have Washington State like 12th all of a sudden because everybody in the Pac-12 returns everybody, and I don't. I do, as if you saw that tweet the other day, uh, like the average projected uh, SP plus rating for for a Pac-12 team is higher than the SEC at the moment, which kind of freaks me out a little bit. But when I look at the distribution, it's basically because they have a bunch of like – top 15 to 30 potential teams and SEC still has South Carolina and Vanderbilt. That's why the ranking or the averages are what they are. Um, The the top SEC teams are still higher. So I'm not that worried about that, but no, it's, it's gonna be weird. All I know is, though, every time I tried to adjust for oddity in the fall, I made my numbers worse. So I, I'm just trying to just like the the boat is 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 out there sailing right now. I'm trying to just you know keep with with kind of the the known methods of projection and whatnot as much as humanly possible because I don't make things better when I start to when I start to just guess how things are gonna go. It doesn't ever work. Was
3: that you're trying to hit a Clause in your contract for minimum number of fine bomb appearances, tweeting out oh, that the Pac-12 team average rating is higher than the SEC. Like, like you, <laughs> Bill, you're, you're going to lock that up early this year, man. That is <laughs> that is guaranteed booking.
2: I, I, Paul remembered me, um, after I went on after, you know, the bowl projections or the bowl parents were announced. And I said, the sec was overrated. Um, here the, ne- the next time I went on, he remembered, uh, the, uh, the, the outcry that I, uh, dealt with for that. So, you know, it's all about making people remember you. Do you think the, do you think that the all boats will rise in the PAC
0: 12? Cause I kn- the PAC 12 got a lot of players that are taking advantage of the super senior opportunity. Yep. Um, and you mentioned that within the context of, you know, your rankings, uh, there's going to be some extrapolation from the small Pac-12 to try and, and yeah. make it line up. But I, do you look at the Pac-12 as, as an analyst? Do you look at the Pac-12 and do you see like so, some exciting, good football, some teams that you can get behind right now?
2: I do. As long as we're not talking about national title contenders, I absolutely do. Um, there is at most, I mean, Oregon, I can, if you really wanted to talk me into Oregon being a national title contender, like I can, I'll I'll listen. I don't completely believe it. And I will admit that SP plus is a little higher on them than I am. But otherwise, I mean, you're just talking about like everything I saw from Arizona state last year with their incredible run game that kind of came out of nowhere with two running backs I hadn't heard of before the season started. Um, like that, that feels like an absolute top twenty-five potential team to me. Utah, of course, is Washington is USC. This is the other thing. Um, SP Plus does not have USC as high as like the the preseason top ten, way too early kind of rankings. That makes me feel good too. It's 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 ter- it's telling you to tap the brakes on USC while still liking the Pac-12. So kind of passes that test. It is pretty aggressive on UCLA, um, which I mean they they absolutely looked better last year, yes. but I mean you can still. You know, you don't have to believe in UCLA if you don't want to. But overall, it kind of, it, it did make sense. All the teams that are really high or, or higher than normal, I think, like, I think it's, it makes sense to me, especially with the experience levels with Washington likely being, um, well, I mean, they were good last year from the minute that we saw them. And I think they'll be pretty good still. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this is going to be as far as PAC 12 goes, I think this is going to be a very good year for them. I just don't still don't see a national title contender
0: coming up on the other side, the teams that stand out, trying to look for some context and maybe even some explanations, uh, behind the way things broke down with Bill Connolly next.
3: Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you.
0: So, um, are you again, just sort of, you, you've got your numbers to be able to, uh, to help inform you, but you also get to make some opinions based on the football that you watch people that you talk to are, what is the, the ceiling for you driving Iowa State hype next season? Like, are, are you going to take this all the way to making a college football playoff prediction? Will you, will you dare call them like the the anti blue chip foil that's that's here for the national championship conversation? Sort of. So sort of where's your floor and ceiling for your Iowa State uh, expectations and preseason prognostication?
2: Well, I do there's nothing I love better than hedging. So I, I you know, I don't want to get too carried away in the fact that OU projects incredibly well too. Allows me to you know tap the brakes on Iowa State at least a little bit, but Bud and I have talked about this before. If there's ever going to be the kind of the the blue chip ratio breaker, so to speak, the team that it doesn't pass the recruiting clear the recruiting hurdle and still really really contend for national title, it's going to be a team that has a very good, very well established uh, quarterback. Check at least one true all American caliber, um, skill guy, Check. you're preferably a receiver, I think, but running back in Iowa state's case, it, you know, is, it, I think that certainly suffices. And then you need an absolute ace pass rusher. Uh, you're still going to, like, otherwise you're still going to need the depth and good talent evaluation and, and you're going to need to avoid injuries and all those other things. Uh, and you're still going to need to get a little bit lucky, but if you have those three things, that's going to get you pretty far down the road. And so, I mean, this year especially. I mean, they are by far the best candidate to be the the national title contender that barely recruits better than Kansas um, on paper.
1: (laughs) This is I can't wait to fade Iowa State next year. It's (laughs) (laughs) because because like these returning production rankings. I get it. They're gonna be. They were very good this year. Mostly everybody's back. They're gonna be very good again. And I felt like this year was kind of a correction to a team that's record. In the last few years, hadn't been a good indicator of how good they actually were. And I feel like we saw the correction this season. But now, like, you know, we, we see where they are in your returning production rankings. We're seeing kind of the hype. Yeah. But if you look at like title futures at sports books right now, like at William Hill, Iowa State's got the same odds to win the national title as Notre Dame and Florida better odds than texas usc lsu even north carolina and then there were some books i saw where they've got you know better odds than those teams like they have better odds than florida and notre dame and i'm sitting there thinking listen i I really like iowa state guys but (laughs) let's let's slow it down a little bit so i already know going into 2021 i will be on the full fade the cyclones tour
2: (laughs) well the uh having better odds than notre dame doesn't really move me all that much because uh Notre yeah, Dame's at the bottom of the
0: returning yeah. production percentage. Yeah.
2: I mean, and this- Notre Dame fans will tell you that my numbers hate them always uh, <laughs> anyway. So, you know, whatever. But uh, looking at their uh, looking at Notre Dame, this is a complete subject change. But looking at Notre Dame's um, the middle of their schedule, like, yeah, I mean, at Florida State, probably not as hard as maybe we thought it was going to be five years ago or something. But Wisconsin, or, yeah, Wisconsin on neutral field, Cincinnati at home at Virginia Tech, who, you know, not great, but top 40 road game, USC and North Carolina in a five game stretch. Um, that's rough, and so I, I would not be placing any money on Notre Dame to win it uh, to to make the college football playoff or win the title next year.
3: Wisconsin also, from a recruiting perspective, uh, their best back-to-back year combined rating uh, ever by by far. Uh, so yeah. something like I, I kind of wonder. So Bill, you know, we we talked about this all, offline. Some um, Iowa State's recruiting ranking is going to drag their projection down, right? And it should to some extent. Do we think of returning production maybe as – not a guarantee, but as an indicator that says, hey, there's a pretty good chance they can continue to play to the level that they just played right. at. But, like, how much more of a leap can this Iowa State team actually take given their talent level? Yeah,
2: I mean, if I get if I get everything set up that I would ever want to get set up here in the coming years, one of the things is being able to kind of weight the recruiting piece of the, the projections overall – Accordingly with how much returning production you have, because the whole I mean, the whole idea of the recruiting piece is like, okay, you're learning that you're you're losing this much production. What caliber of athlete are you replacing it with? So uh, UCLA and Iowa State of Louisiana doesn't necessarily matter this next year how they recruit, because we already know what their starting lineups is going to be. Uh, so that, that would be great. And, and meanwhile, with like a BYU or a Tennessee or something, you, you got to fill in a lot more uh, p- spots with with recruits. How good are those recruits? Maybe that matters more. But at the same time, I kind of look at the recruiting piece as a, just a general like depth evaluator, and from that perspective, I don't necessarily mind that that I am counting every team's recruiting rankings the same, and it really doesn't drag Iowa State down that much. Like if they, I guess if they were if it was only returning production to last year's numbers, they'd be like third in the projections this uh, this coming year, and that'd be insane. But the recruiting piece drags them down to like lower half of the top ten, and that kind of that hit, that hits my eyeballs right. Like I think that's that that makes sense to me. So I don't mind it staying that way.
3: So some ACC questions. Hmm. I'll, I'll lump these three together, right? <laughs> okay. And we, we, we already, we already did Notre Dame. They're not in the conference anymore. You're running back production. 5% uh, of, of the total is going to be put to the test here with North Carolina. Yes. Yeah. So they returned 79% of their overall production, despite the fact they lost, you know, 4,000 yards of uh,
0: total yeah. Yeah.
3: Between like, this a total offense. Bill.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't mind like I, they, they did run the ball a lot. They had almost 300 carries between them in, in whatever, 11, 12 games. So, I mean, they, they certainly leaned on that a little bit and Ty Chandler's good, but he's not, I mean, unless he's just better in that system, he he, he isn't going to fill in all that production. So, yeah, that is a, a piece of it, but uh, it's going to hurt them a lot more to lose those receivers. The, the reason they're as high as they are is they get back Howell and, like, the entire offensive line. That's why they end up being as high as they – like, if the offensive line didn't count – count as, as much like if it was like the old formulas where i didn't have the right data then they'd get hit pretty hard by the fact that they lose brown and newsome and then like the you know the running backs as well i guess so yeah that's going to be they have a lot of replenishing to do on, on the skill core and i really like you know the little glimpses that we saw of some of their younger players but i mean it is it, it was only glimpses and that that's a really hard high, uh, high bar to clear because they oh, are going to yeah. be projected pretty high
0: I'm I'm definitely hanging way too much on like a few good runs by British Brooks against Texas right. A&M's defense in the Orange Bowl right. where I was like, hey, whatever, like who even needs Ty Chandler here? We got we got this in-state guy who's just ready to come in and roll. And like you said, maybe that's just the system, right? And not that uh, Carter and Williams are not very, very special players in and of themselves, but once that offensive line even this year started playing together and sort of had really uh, gelled as a cohesive five, I mean, you might be able to just cycle in a stable of backs, whoever's got fresh legs, hot hand, and still be able to put up decent numbers.
2: Right. I mean... Yeah, uh, returning Sam Howell and your entire offensive line is a pretty good starting point for an offense. Like, it wasn't the most amazing line in the world, I guess, but it was still solid enough to, you know, not get in Williams and Carter's way. And, uh, you know, his Hal's uh, sack rates weren't bad for how much he moves around. So, you know, I, like that, I still think they're going to have a very good offense, but that will be a test as far as, like, what matters, line versus quarterback versus skill core. That skill core, oh, who was the dude who had, like, the 80-yard touchdown uh, catch against AM? Too. Um, whichever, Dash whichever Newsom? one of those young uh, Downs. Oh yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Or Josh Downs. Josh yeah. Downs. So I mean,
2: lo- lots of great glimpses of those younger guys, but yeah, it's going to be a big test to to match that uh, overall projection.
1: British so, Brooks is like a, a real year twelve of an NCAA football dynasty name.
2: <laughs> With Britton Brown as well coming back for <laughs> I think for I think for year twelve at UCLA. <laughs> yeah.
0: Who else did you have in the ACC on your list,
3: Bud? Oh, yeah. Uh, so this has kind of got to be the year Jeff Collins take, takes a big step forward, right? And that number 13 overall in, in returning production. Uh, I mean, that division is not necessarily super winnable, but like you could see a path to them finishing second or third in the Coastal, I, I would think. Yeah, I mean... Yeah,
2: their top 50 uh, – The spoiler, they will be about 50-ish uh, in SP+. Plus. So they are projected to – they improved a little bit. They'll be projected to improve again because they were hilariously young in 2019 and somehow barely more experienced in 2020 with all the, the new recruits in there. So, yeah, I mean, if he's got – you figure – You know, if it's an extreme rebuild, it'll take you four or five years sometimes, but you figure if if he's got a a breakthrough in him, we're at least going to get a glimpse of it, a couple glimpses of it at least this coming year. They start with like NIU and Kennesaw State, which of course, Kennesaw State, not... A, a, a gimme necessarily. Uh, hello, Jason Kirk. But, you know, after that, they still have Clemson. They still have North Carolina. They still have Georgia. Uh, it's still a pretty brutal schedule. And, um, you know, we'll see Miami is on there. Notre Dame's on there. You know, it's still going to be really hard for them to put together a good year. But if they can at least win the semi-winnable games and get up to five and seven, maybe, Like, I, it's, it's hard for me to predict more than that. But th- I think that's at least on the table.
3: So my, my my last one out of the ACC is the team at number 3 in your returning production, <laughs> Miami. I I mean, they I think were better than their record at times last year and then they had two losses that were you know really non-competitive. I I, I guess would be the, the the charitable way to put it, if they play to their potential, are they like win the ACC good or do they, like they need to play to their potential and have Clemson regress.
2: Yeah, I mean, it would certainly help if Clemson regressed. Um You know, obviously my numbers are going to like North Carolina too. So it's not necessarily a gimme that they're the favorite in the, in the coastal, but no, they were, obviously they didn't finish the year well, but the upside they showed was, you know, it it seems sustainable. You still have D'Erik King back, assuming he's a hundred percent, obviously we will, we'll see how that goes, but you get Harley and Pope back, you get your entire offensive line back, you lose pass rushers, but you always have pass rushers. So I mean, it seems like whatever we saw from them last year, and they ended up 20th in SP Plus last year. They slipped um, they, they slipped pretty well at the end of the year. But, yeah, I mean, it seems like that's all pretty replicable. And, you know, if they can improve, if King's, you know, got a better rapport with his uh, skill core, if the, the offensive line's better because it returns everybody. I mean <laughs> – Another spoiler: it, They're high in SP Plus. They're higher than I would prefer when you when you see the the actual project, projections. But that kind of does seem like a top fifteen team at the very least. And so, um, usually that's good enough to win the coastal, especially if it's overestimating what North Carolina has to offer.
0: See that Clemson regression thing is really interesting because there's a there's a little number for Clemson. Offensively, which certainly takes into consideration the loss of you know former ACC Player of the Year, two times over Travis Etienne, and ACC Player of the Year Trevor Lawrence, generational talent at quarterback, number one eighteen. But there's another number for Clemson, and it's on the defensive side of the ball, where Brent Venables has 92 percent returning production on the defensive side of the ball. Like I. I don't know about Clemson regression. Like it it seems as though that 92% part of the equation. And again, overall, a very nice 69% right there at number 65 in the country, like smack dab in the middle of the data set. But that, that 92% feels like it, it provides a very, very, very high floor for like whatever happens with the reloaded offense without Trevor Lawrence.
2: Yeah. I mean, what you t- tend to see from these returning productions list is like uh, you know, Alabama always ranks low because, of course, they do. They always lose, you know, half their starters to the pros, and then the next guys are just as good. Yeah, they're Ohio 55%, percent,
0: I think, yeah. right? Yeah, 55% this year.
2: Yeah. And Ohio state's low. They're fine. You know, but Clemson, the fact that they are ranking in the middle of the pack in terms of returning production among the good teams, I think only Oklahoma. uh, Well, I guess if we're counting Oregon, Oregon's up there too, but um, you know, Oklahoma kind of kills the returning production equation as well. uh, But Clemson's as, as high as just about anybody in that elite list. And that's usually a good sign. Like Alabama, was of course going to start out, but like, I mean, it's not even a spoiler to say that Alabama is going to start out first in SP plus they finished last year, like seven points ahead of everybody else in the country. So, you know, unless they lost every single starter, they were going to be number one to start the year. But I mean, you have to feel pretty good if you're Clemson about what you return, about, you know, if there's any sort of slowdown on offense with everything Alabama loses, you have to feel very good about where you are. And I mean, I I guess Clemson's probably felt very good about where they are for a while. So I guess that's not really a change in any kind.
1: You mentioned Ohio State's ranking. I was going to ask you something too, what you thought, like just as far as the Big 10, because if we look at your returning production ranks, the two teams that played in the Big 10 championship are in the bottom ten as far as returning production because Ohio State's at 121st with 50 percent. Northwestern, out of the 127 teams in the list, is a 126th with 34 percent. As you alluded to earlier, it's much different for Ohio State to replace 50 percent of its production than it is for Northwestern to replace 66. So, I feel like Ohio State, like you kind of just said, they're probably going to be fine, but. It's. You think it's pretty fair to say that Northwestern probably not going to win the West next year, particularly when you look back towards the top of the rankings and you see Wisconsin's up there, you see Minnesota's up there.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the margins are always small for Northwestern. They they kind of plan it that way. Yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna keep things very. Well, we're going to force. We're we're not going to allow you to ever score a touchdown. Where you're only going to kick field goals. We're going to have like three good drives, but it's going to be enough to keep us in the game. Like the formula is going to remain the same, and that's good. But we saw two years ago what happens if you don't kind of clear a certain bar offensively, and that's where a lot of their lost production is. I mean, they're. I mean, this is pretty familiar territory. But the uh, the the SP plus projections themselves are going to have them in the teens again on defense and in the hundred twenties again on offense because of how much they lose, and so you know, they know that territory. They know how to win games with, with no offense whatsoever, but you do figure it's going to be hard when you look at what Wisconsin brings back Minnesota's defense. I, I, it was bad enough last year to give me pause on them overall, even though I think I I like what they have offensively, but I mean, they're going to be experienced. I was experienced. Nebraska is at least experienced. I, I can't decide what I think they're going to be, but yeah, like they, they, you still need to clear a certain bar offensively, and it, it's really hard to think that Northwestern's going to clear it.
3: I'm super excited for, for the Wildcats to start out really poorly and for us to get like plus 17, plus 20, <laughs> plus, plus 16 within down the stretch because that, that is just going to be a Pat Fitzgerald ATM.
2: <laughs> I rem- yeah, Their schedule could be kind of false hope, by the way, because they start with Michigan State and Indiana State, mm-hmm. Duke, uh, Ohio, which I mean, isn't a gimme, I guess, but wh- wherever their wins are, they're at the start of the schedule. So that might be kind of tough. Like they might be, you, you might not get too much, uh, too many points on them for like the Minnesota and Iowa games. We'll see.
0: Um, it was a few years ago that you, uh, released study hall, a book, a very good book, which uh, football fans can pick up. And in that, I know a lot of, uh, there were a lot of conversations with coaches and I imagine that some of those conversations have continued as we're here in 2021, what is your sense of the coaching community, the different analytics that they're, they're willing to embrace what seems to matter to them, uh, in college football right now, have you seen a change over the past couple of years and, and sort of what's your sense of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are more companies out there and more of them are getting paid by schools uh, to provide, whether it's fourth down decision making, whether it's whatever. Like, it's definitely made inroads. I don't know what the effects really are. I mean, I know teams are going for more on fourth down. I know that I think developmentally, uh, there's been a lot of really interesting that's uh, that's kind of my white whale is figuring out a fun way to write about development. It's it's I haven't figured it out yet. Like but, player um,
0: development, like how yeah, players like player, get better. Yeah,
2: yeah, like just all the all the catapult stuff. You know, just being able to to track things that they couldn't track before, or, or at least track them better. I, I mean, that that's all. Th- those services are out there. I just, it's hard to tell who besides army, I guess is really using them who, who who just pays for them to have them available to them and, and then, you know, freak out and punt on fourth and two at the last second. But um, just the availability of data from a writing standpoint, like I haven't, I, well, I, I don't think I've ever actually read study hall after I wrote it, but um, like, I think it would kind of freak me out to go back and, like, just I, I, a lot has changed in terms of what's available to riders, what's available to coaches. Uh, it does feel like there's been a lot of progress. It's just you never seeing it on the field is like the last step because it really does. When you're on the field, when you're making re- in game decisions, you still lean on your instincts, and those are the last thing to change. What's the catapult
0: stuff? Is that the player tracker?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, GPS stuff, the, um, you know, just being able to monitor heart rate and sleep patterns and whatever else that's not just catapult, but, um, just going down that road of, of monitoring all that stuff, all the, that's all, all the stuff that's creating, creating lots of privacy concerns at the moment, uh, in terms of what we should be tracking and what, and all that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's certainly gone a long way in the last five, six, seven years.
3: All right, Bill, we're going to do an episode on this coming up. What is the one rule that you would change, either on the field, off the field, it's simply regulation. Whatever, it, is there one rule in college football that really bugs you that you think either is unfair or makes the game not as exciting or not as enjoyable as it could be? What What would you do if you had one shot at
2: it? I'm gonna. Uh, well, I'm gonna tick you off. Um, I, the one thing I would uh, change is actually something that everybody else wants to change, and I wouldn't, and that is keep the damn three uh, yard ineligible oh, no. receiver let the, let the, let those rpos uh, get a little wilder at the at college level that's you know that, that seems to be a lot of people don't, most people don't think that. And, and I'm, I'm refusing to budge. I want my uh, football as offense friendly as possible. So that's, that's a non-change that I would like. Um, All right. Well, this was a good interview. Thanks for coming on, Bill. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, uh, th- honestly, you, you said college, but the first answer that popped into my head was yester- um, yesterday was the Super Bowl, And it was a nice reminder of how the spot foul p- pass interference at the pro level is the most ridiculously punitive and unbelievably stupid penalty in the game of football at any level like somehow like if you if you accidentally chip a guy on a long bomb it's worse than a face mask or targeting uh three times worse even but uh anyway like that's um i i'm pretty like i guess since i've answered two things that weren't actually answers um I don't know. I mean, I, I obviously the targeting area is, is one that we're still trying to figure out. And I love Bud's idea of like the flagrant one flagrant two. I know a lot of people have come up with that actually Um, like being able to kind of discern now, as we go along, like you don't have to, this was clearly accidental. You don't, we don't have to eject you for this. Um, That seems like a pretty logical step. Um, I don't know why we took that away from the face mask penalty. Um, Bringing that back would be lovely too, but that seems to be one area where, I don't really know why we haven't made more progress in that regard.
1: See, my only concern with that and like I think logically it's it's the smart way to go, but my concern is now you're making the ref make another decision. Like, you know what I mean? Like, well each each ref is going to have a different definition of what was excessive and what wasn't and that's going to lead to yeah. just more anger.
2: I, well, and if we if we were interpreting it uh, consistently as is, I would I would agree and say like yeah. wait, let's not add complication. But it's like I never. It's like between that and catches, I never really watched the replay. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I think it was a catch. I don't know. I don't know what the ref's going to say. So, yeah, I mean, since it's so inconsistent anyway, why not add more complication to it?
1: What would happen to Twitter stock if we knew what targeting was? They'd probably, wow. (laughs) This
2: is is all a
0: deep ploy by Twitter to make sure it's as confusing as possible. That and what a catch is in the NFL. Now, I'd be cool with – you know, leaving the, the three yards as is, but uh, only when we have uh, teams that have averaged a top 25 recruiting class over a five-year period. Like, we can't let these six five three 330-pound offensive linemen come blast your uh, under-recruited, overdeveloped three-star <laughs> safety to just, like, open things up in the middle of the field and turn an easy pass into a touchdown.
2: Well and and honestly my biggest problem with that rule in general is like we don't have a ref station 3 yards downfield right. like that's you know it, it becomes impossible to actually interpret because you don't you're not lined up right for it but again I'm I'm all for offense still especially since defenses are I think making a little bit of progress with the non-Alabamas of the world we need to make sure we still have our uh, our random shootouts
3: I just worry that, that teams will start doing what Arkansas does, right? Which is we're, we're just going to drop eight every play yeah. to, to, to these teams that, that, are, that are, you know, so RPO and, and, and pass heavy and okay. But like, then you don't give up any explosive plays and the game becomes just a million six-yard passes. Not, not, I mean, not to that extreme, obviously. Like Leach um, is getting excited. Yeah, right. Now, what if we made it reviewable or more punitive? and Instead of just like like, instead of replay the down, what if you lose the down? Ten yards and you lose it down. We'll, we'll keep the three yards, but if you actually exceeded, if you're if you're blocking my safety in the box at six yards depth, yep. then you know let let's let's have you lose the down. I, I don't know. Just uh, I, I I do like offense.
2: That that does remind me of another one I would like to change. Um, the offensive pass interference. Uh, where it's basically where it's like a pick and it's so it's basically an illegal block, but it's 15 yards. Um, that one frustrates me a little bit because that that's another one where like now it's first and 25 drives over and it was just like it was a minor it was a it was a, an illegal block it was a five or 10 yard penalty not first and 25.
0: The old, uh, the, the fights break out over what to call it in the coaches' room of the national championship right. game where half the room calls it a pick play. They call it a rub route on the other side of the table. Yeah. yeah 100%. <laughs> All right. So, when do the, uh, when do the SP plus new rankings come out? We're recording here on Monday afternoon. Sounds like it's coming this week. Uh, when, when should the people keep their eyes out for it?
2: Um, not sure i think to, i think tomorrow i'm pretty sure tomorrow um i think we were still trying to figure out the best like placement for it in the schedule but i think i think tuesday we'll, we'll see
3: you see chip almost almost through the uh through the end in there
1: yeah caught
3: himself Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm like the only one who hasn't had a problem with that. I like everybody. I still, it's p- your, it, they're on. your rankings. You figured <laughs> you know, it out but first. Like, it, it was an immediate change. Maybe it was the fear involved. Like I can't ever say the ampersand like I'll, I'll get in trouble. So no, we, we didn't
3: get cease and desist letters. So like uh, it, it takes us a little bit
2: longer. <laughs> right. Like, so like for me, like there, it was pretty easy, but I guess for others,
0: SP plus SP plus SP plus SP plus, and you can Our find them. S-
2: Plus, plus,
0: yeah. You can find the new <laughs> plus rankings on ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at ESPN underscore Bill C. You can follow him at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson.
3: Gentlemen, thank you very much. Follow us on Spotify.
1: Oh, and Let's follow us. On- on- you can follow us on
3: Spotify. You can hit our Spotify numbers for the month.
0: Follow and stream on Spotify. Thank you very much.
1: Or else.